This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. If you'd please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26. We will be looking at most of this chapter, not quite all of it. We will save the last couple of verses for next time as they relate more to what follows. But we will be looking at chapter 26, the first 33 verses. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and Gerar. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister, for he was afraid to say, She is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, And the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. For you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. 
so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us. We shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So he said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would illuminate our hearts to receive it, that we would see your covenant faithfulness, your faithfulness to the promises you make to your people, that we would receive and rest upon those promises as they are offered to us in the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we are young, probably one of the least attractive propositions that we can think of, at least for most of us, is that we will end up being like our parents. This is not to say there's anything inherently wrong with being like our parents, but children and adolescents are naturally rebellious and think they'll be young forever and they think they can solve all the world's problems and they think that all the issues and problems their parents had, they're above all of that, and they can overcome all of that. Yet in ways we are often reluctant to admit, we do end up, in many ways, being like our parents. It's hard to avoid. First way this ever hit me is when I was a teenager and my voice changed, people would call our house. We had one landline that we all shared in our house back in the days when that was a thing. And I would answer and people would say, hello, Brad, or is this Brad? Now, I'm not Brad. Most of you have met Brad. Brad is my father. But my voice changed and I sounded enough like him that people would actually confuse us by our voices. Now, eventually growing to resemble our parents, it's not merely limited to our physical attributes, our voice, or other things that genetically might be passed down. The people who raise us, the people who have the most influence on us in our formative years are going to have an impact on what kind of people we become. 
So if it is our parents who have that influence, we will inevitably, whether we realize it or not, pick up traits and attitudes and other things from our parents. Now, for parents, this is a reminder that for your children, you should emulate the kind of qualities that you want your children to have. But for children who think that they're going to rise above it all, you're probably going to end up like your parents in some ways. And in some ways, you may not want to admit you already have. What does all this have to do with Genesis 26? In our last chapter, we saw the closing of the main narrative surrounding Abraham. His story is essentially over. In fact, now we clearly in our text this week move to events that are after his life. So Abraham, though, he was around for quite a while. He did live until Isaac was 75, and Jacob and Esau even would have been 15 based on the numbers that were recorded in the previous chapters. But now Abraham is gone. And so Isaac, the son of promise, takes center stage. For the next couple of chapters, we will now look at him and his household and what is going on pertinent to Isaac. And what may strike us as we do this is that we find in many ways, Isaac's life moves very similarly, progresses very similarly, and features many of the same kinds of events that Abraham's life did too. In fact, right down to the sins, right down to the bad things Isaac does, they're very similar to the things his father did. So apparently some of the hard lessons that Abraham would have had to have learned in sin and disobedience, he didn't quite pass those lessons down to Isaac well enough that Isaac knew not to do them, or maybe Isaac was just one of those who had to learn the hard way. But regardless, we will look today at how the son, Isaac, follows after his father Abraham in many different ways. And we will see this in four points today from this text we have read. First, we will see fraud in verses 1 through 11. Just as his father did, Isaac will deal treacherously with a king regarding the matter of his wife. And second, we will see fruitfulness in verses 12 through 22. Despite Isaac's sin, God continues to bless him just as he did to Abraham. Third, related to that, we see faithfulness in verses 23 through 25. God is faithful to his covenant promises that were made to Abraham and now have been transferred to Isaac. And then fourth, we see a federation in verses 26 through 35. As a sojourner, Dwelling in a land not his own, Isaac faces various difficulties, but ends up making a covenant with the king. So again, we have fraud, fruitfulness, faithfulness, and federation. Those are our four points for this morning. So first we look at fraud in verses 1 through 11. We have a story here that is very similar to two major events that we saw in the life of Abraham. In chapter 12, there was a famine that forced Abraham to Egypt. Not owning his own land and having only tenuous access to water meant that the house of Abraham, which was now in the hands of Isaac, it had to move if there was a famine, if there was a drought, if there wasn't enough water and grass available. 
Now, we didn't get the reason why, but also in the life of Abraham in chapter 20, we saw that he made a move to the land of the Philistines, land that is governed by a king named Abimelech. It seems like the reason for this move of Isaac in chapter 26, it's a similar action to chapter 20 in that it involves the land of the Philistines, but for the reason of chapter 12, there is a famine. Now, it seems that Isaac may have been inclined to actually go all the way to Egypt as Abraham did in chapter 12, but God intervenes and tells him not to. God tells him to sojourn in the land that he would guide him to, which would be the land of the Philistines, which was itself actually a part of the promised land, part of the land that was to be inherited by Abraham and Isaac's descendants. So basically, God, when he appears to Isaac to give him this message, he restates many of the covenant promises that he gave to Abraham. These promises to Abraham are also promises to Isaac, promises of blessing, promises of the land, promises of descendants as numerous as the stars. But this being done for the sake of the promises to Abraham. God is keeping the same promise, even if it's now in the hands of another. He remembers Abraham and the form of a covenant for people and posterity that this took. Now, this isn't the only time we see that God remembers the promises to Abraham, and it has implications for the sake of others. For instance, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, after the people of God had been enslaved in Egypt for centuries, God remembers his promises to Abraham, and thus events are set into motion to deliver them. Whatever God's children might do, they are ultimately guided by God's hand of providence. God wants Isaac in the land of the Philistines and not in Egypt. But God also specifically appears to Isaac and gives him covenantal revelation towards those ends. Of course, in the land of the Philistines, things will not go well for Isaac, at least starting out. In verse 6, we see that Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and this seems to be the land where Abimelech, the king, also dwelled. Now, this is probably not the same Abimelech who Abraham had dealt with. It had been a very long time, probably about a hundred years since Abraham transacted his business with Abimelech. More likely, Abimelech is a family name that's passed down. It means my father is king, so it's the kind of name that kings would keep using over and over, just like how you see monarchies even now in the places that still have them. They'll take the names of previous kings or queens and then attach a Roman numeral on the end to just show that they're another in a long line that use that same name. We start to see, though, a similar problem arise with Isaac that it did with Abraham's various relocations, including when Abraham came to the land of the Philistines. There is this matter of Isaac's wife. Now, Abraham committed treachery in a situation like this twice that we saw recorded. He did in Egypt and then again in the court of Abimelech. In both cases, Abraham lied and said that Sarah was his sister, not his wife. Now, for Abraham, this was a half-truth. Sarah was his half-sister. But the intent of saying that was to essentially deny that Sarah was his wife. 
But then also in the second instance of the sin recorded, the time with Abimelech, Sarah admitted that this had been their practice everywhere they had gone. And it seems that Isaac also picked up on this pattern of behavior. Now, Isaac should have come to Abimelech and been received and treated well. A covenant was made between his father and one of this Abimelech's predecessors for mutual aid and goodwill. But Isaac is distrusting, and as we find out, there may be good reasons to distrust. The problem is that Isaac lets this distrust lead him into sin, the very sin and deception of his father. He tells the men of Gerar that Rebekah, his wife, was actually his sister. Now, not in any way to mitigate the egregiousness of this sin when Abraham committed it, but again, with Abraham, it was at least a half-truth. Sarah was his half-sister. Rebekah is not Isaac's sister in any sense. She is a distant cousin. But Isaac is scared that Abimelech and his men will kill him to take Rebekah. Now, of course, where did Isaac learn this tactic? Given that his parents did this not once, but multiple times, it seems that somehow this knowledge was passed down to Isaac. It seems that the recorded instances of chapters 12 and 20, though they both happened before Isaac was born, he somehow still learned of them and imitated them all the same. Though this is after Abraham's death, we see that Abraham may have passed down not only his good qualities to Isaac, but some of the bad. For whatever reason, it was a hard-learned lesson in the family of faith that this sort of treachery and endangering of wives was not acceptable. They do it, they keep doing it, even across multiple generations. But unlike Abraham, who was delivered from this situation by a dream that Abimelech had, Isaac just gets caught. After he had been there a long time, the king looks out the window and sees Isaac showing endearment, that is, treating Rebekah in such a way that a brother does not treat a sister, but rather as a husband treats his wife. Now, what's notable in this instance is that we don't actually see that another man attempts to take Rebekah. God has providentially protected this family, but Isaac is still caught and humiliated in his lie. Abimelech thoroughly chastises Isaac for this. He says, what have you done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So this king, as with his predecessor, though a pagan, unbelieving king of a people outside the city of God, still recognized the basic truth that taking another man's wife was evil, and his people would have recognized it too had they known the truth. Yet God is faithful to his people and can even turn their sins for their good. So as a result of this, Abimelech issues a decree to all of his people in light of this revelation that protects both Isaac and Rebekah, at least temporarily. Now, this would have been important given their status as foreigners and sojourners in the area. God is faithful despite his people's unfaithfulness and even uses that ultimately for their good and his glory. So with this matter of fraud now settled, we come to our second point, fruitfulness in verses 12 through 22. 
With his status in the land now secured, even if through the means of treachery, Isaac dwells there in safety for a time, and God blesses him. We see that he takes to farming in the area, and he is very successful. He sows crops, and he reaps a hundredfold. God provided for him in the ways that only God can. Isaac already had all the inheritance he received from Abraham, which would have been very great. He would have already been very wealthy, but now he begins to add to it himself. God blesses him such that he receives his own wealth and prosperity. We read that Isaac had possessions of flocks and herds and a great number of servants, all the things his father had and more still being added to it. Of course, in a certain way, as his father before, Isaac starts to be a victim of his own success. We see in verse 14 that despite the proclamation of their king that the Philistines let him alone, the Philistines start to envy him. We also see that the wells which Abraham had dug in the land, the wells over which the previous Abraham, over which Abraham and the previous Abimelech had made a covenant, they'd been stopped up, they had been destroyed. That covenant had not been honored past the lives of the parties in it. Now, for Isaac, this was a serious problem. To have flocks and herds and people and no water would have put him in danger of losing everything. So when Isaac returns to the areas where his father once dwelt after he is essentially asked by the Philistines and by Abimelech to leave, he redigs the wells and he uses the same names that Abraham had used for them, which were various reminders of God's goodness and provision as well as the Philistines' previous promises. Then we see that Isaac starts to add his own wells to these. This does not sit well with the locals who want to claim that water. This leads to quarreling. This leads to physical strife and violence between Isaac's people and the Philistines. This results in two of these wells being given names that relate to this quarreling, Esek and Sitna. But then finally, on a third attempt, he digs a well that no one wants to fight him for. And this is called Rehoboth. For the Lord has now made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So though Isaac has repeated some of the sins of his father, God has blessed him, multiplied him, protected and preserved him, and even prospered him because of the promises to Abraham. And this brings us to our third point. After fraud and fruitfulness, we come to faithfulness in verses 23 through 25. We see that Isaac goes up to Beersheba. Now, this was the site of the previous covenant making between Abraham and the prior Abimelech. And it was in that place of covenant making that God appeared to Isaac to confirm his covenant with him, just as he had promised to do at the opening of the chapter. I am the God of your father Abraham. It is because of Abraham and God's promises to Abraham that he now appears to Isaac to bless him. But he also tells Isaac, do not fear. It is always something of a fearful thing when God appears to man, because man is sinful and man is unworthy. We've already seen in this text today how Isaac followed in the sins of his father. But why is it then that Isaac should not fear? 
God says, I am with you. He is with Isaac and not against him. If God was against Isaac, as he had every right to be based on Isaac's conduct, there would be grounds to fear. But the covenant of grace is not a covenant of works. Isaac was not blessed and remembered by God because of any inherent good in him. He was blessed by God because God was gracious and good and faithful to his own promises. This included the previous promises to Abraham, which are now restated to Isaac. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. This covenant is not on anything inherent in Isaac, but because of God's gracious and permanent and unfailing promises to his people. And it is under this same covenant of grace that we as God's people now dwell. It was in this covenant with Abraham that God promised that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Though we may not be physical descendants of Abraham and Isaac, we inherit the spiritual blessings of this covenant. The covenant took the immediate and temporal form of promising growth and descendants and a people to this family, but it ultimately points to Christ. It comes to its highest realization and revelation in Christ through whom all the nations of the earth are blessed. This means of Abraham and Isaac and their descendants growing into a people was to preserve the covenant promises so they might come to fruition in Christ. And in Christ, all the nations of the earth are blessed. A people is brought from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We see this prefigured in how Isaac responds to this covenant reaffirmation in a fashion similar to what his father had done. He builds an altar. This means he offered sacrifices. He worshipped God, and he would have offered the blood of animals that would have been a symbol, a type and shadow of the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, which would be poured out to save his people from their sins. We also see in this altar building that Isaac responds to God's grace, for this is a covenant of grace, with worship and gratitude and thankfulness. While Isaac had learned from his father some sins and failings, it does not seem that Abraham failed to teach Isaac the most important thing, which was to love God, to serve God, and to worship God according to what is pleasing to him. So children, if your parents love and serve God, then this, more than any, then this, more than anything else, is where you should follow them and emulate them. And parents, if you leave nothing else to your children that they should follow, do this for them. Love and serve God all your days and let them know how important it is that they do the same. But ultimately, this is not about the faithfulness of people, of Abraham or Isaac or anyone else. We have seen over and over again how Abraham and Isaac fall short. This is a covenant of grace, and it is about the faithfulness of God who remembers and keeps his promises perfectly and unfailingly. He is pleased to accept Abraham and Isaac and even what they do, despite the fact that it is stained with sin. We see that Isaac's spiritual security is certain 
because of the promises of God and God's faithfulness to those promises. But there, do, there does remain some matters of material and physical security, which bring us to our final point. After the fraud and fruitfulness and faithfulness, we come to federation in verses 26 through 33. So essentially, what we have seen in this text so far is that Isaac has been getting chased all over the land of the Philistines because of the size of his operation, how many people and animals he has, and this matter of water. While he found some temporary security at the site of Beersheba, he knows this will continue to be a problem unless something changes. But then in verse 26, this king Abimelech comes with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, commander of the army. Again, probably a different Phicol from the one who came to Abraham. This was probably a hereditary title that was passed on. Now Isaac is a bit surprised to see them. He asks in verse 27, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They did send him away. And it has been their people, the Philistines, that have been causing all this trouble for Isaac. Isaac did not have the relatively painless time of dwelling in the land of the Philistines that his father did. And yet, in his goodness and his providence, God has instigated Abimelech to come and make peace with Isaac. So they respond to Isaac's question, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Now, how would they have seen this? Isaac has been prosperous, to be sure, but Isaac has been prosperous despite very active efforts on the part of their people to stop him and to slow him down. They've seen Isaac's handling of the attacks and the afflictions, and yet Isaac has continued to prosper because God has been with him and prospered him. This was no testament to Isaac himself, but to Isaac's God. The things Isaac faced, this oppression and persecution, this even lack of the basic resources to live, would have undone most people. But God was with Isaac and blessed him all the same, to where even these pagan Philistines had to recognize it. Because they see God is with Isaac, they want to make a covenant. They want to make an oath with Isaac, just as their fathers did with Abraham. They want in this covenant for it to be acknowledged that they personally did Isaac no wrong, which seems to be true. Though it does seem that they failed to keep those under their authority from doing wrong to Isaac. Perhaps they fear that they have drawn the ire of Abraham and Isaac's powerful God, and so they're trying to get back in his good graces. Whatever motivated them, God has orchestrated it for Isaac's good and for his protection in the land. And Isaac, for his part, is willing to accept. They have a feast, they have a covenant meal, then the next morning they swear an oath according to these terms, they swear a covenant as their fathers did for mutual aid and protection. As perhaps a sign from God for confirmation, that very same day after the covenant was made, Isaac's servants strike water in their new well. They have a new source of water there at Beersheba. 
The timing was certainly providential because now they had their well, and based on the covenant that was just struck, that well could not be taken away. It could not be disputed by the Philistines. After a long ordeal, Isaac could now dwell in peace, at least as to his material safety. There will still be some family issues that need to be dealt with in the coming chapters. But what we have seen in this text is God's continued faithfulness to his people. Abraham was gone, but God's promises did not end with Abraham. They continued on to Isaac, even despite Isaac carrying forward many of Abraham's sins and adding to them his own. God's promises continued despite resistance and opposition and persecution from outside. Isaac had to repeatedly fight and move just to have water, the most basic of needs. But God was faithful. God preserved and protected his people. And God continues to preserve and protect his people today, even despite their own faithlessness and failing. So the question today is, are you one of God's people? Are you a part of this covenant? The promises to Abraham and Isaac came to their highest fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Abraham and Isaac were sinners. All their descendants who came after them, you could even think of the best ones. You could think of David. You could think of Samuel. You could think of the prophets. You think of Moses. All of them were fallen. All of them were sinners. But Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died to pay the penalty for the sins of God's people. People like Abraham and Isaac, who though believing God still sinned, still face the troubles of this life. This is important to us when we recognize that we are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory, and the only righteousness that will pass God's judgment is perfect righteousness. Just like we saw in our catechism earlier, every sin, even the little ones that we don't think much about, they deserve God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. But God has provided a righteousness through Christ, a perfect righteousness, the only perfect righteousness that will pass his judgment. And those who would repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ belong to this covenant and receive its blessings. Eternal life and blessedness, hope, salvation, and even the presence of the Holy Spirit in this life. So for those of you who are in this covenant today, remember it, abide in it, cling to it. Recognize that it remains not because of our works and deeds, and it is not abolished by our sins and failings. Rest in Christ and his promises, but also learn these things. Teach these things to your children Seek to see these gospel truths go out into the world and be proclaimed where they are not yet known. And just as he did to Abraham and Isaac, may God preserve and guard and keep us his people. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us and how in this word you have shown forth your faithfulness to your people despite the fact that we are often undeserving and ill-deserving, 
you are pleased to help us, to bless us, to wash us clean of our sins, to cleanse us from all righteousness, and to give us a place of eternal hope and security with you. I pray that you would write this gospel truth on our hearts, and that because of its transforming power, we would more and more be sanctified by your Holy Spirit and live lives that are pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.